Blog Talk Radio. All right, fans, here we go. Four two-minute rounds of boxing scheduled women in the ring. Good evening, fight fans, to the two-minute round, your hooks and jacks look at female boxing. This is episode number 132. My name is Felipe Leon from Southern California, and with me, as always, is from the Inland Empire, Mr. David Avila. David, how are you doing tonight? Very good, Felipe. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. Uh, it's starting to feel like a little bit of fall. Out here in Southern California. Yesterday we had a little rain, like a little rain shower here in Southern California, San Diego area. I don't know if you guys got anything like that up where yep. you were at, David. Um, and unfortunately, uh, our, our third co-host, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Lupi Gutierrez, is not going to be able to be with us tonight. She's taking care of a family uh, issue, uh, nothing serious, uh, but she's not going to be able to. But that is okay because we do have two special guests tonight. It has been quite a while since we've had two guests in the same night. Actually, a guest we've been running, uh, uh, just the three of us just talking about female boxing. I had a, a guest for a little bit, but tonight we're going to have two special guests. The first one will be uh, promoter Terry Moss, a former world champion who will be speaking to us about her upcoming boxing event in Atlanta, Georgia, as well as the local female boxing out there in the south part of the United States. And also we're going to have author Melissa Smith, who wrote a book called A History of Women's Boxing, which must be a a must-read for any boxing fan, especially any listener of this show. So she's going to tell us all about that book and also how to get a hold of it, because I actually – want to get my hands on, on a copy and read it. Actually, Melissa Smith, now that I think of it, she's going to be the second author that we've had on the show. We had Alicia Doyle. I remember remember uh, that interview, David, where we talked about her amateur career oh, yeah. and how she got boxing and all that. So this is going to be the actual second author that we've had on the Two Minute Around in 132 episodes. But before we have our first guest call in, Terry Moss, let's go ahead and do a little bit of the fight review and see what happened in the world of boxing in the last uh, weeks or so, starting on Friday, September 16th in Brooklyn, New York. Melissa Smith, St. Ville, I'm sorry, Melissa St. Ville scored a unanimous decision over Calista Silgado in a six-rounder at 135 pounds. The scores there were 59, 55, and 58, 56 two times. And then on Friday, September 23rd in Cancun, Mexico, a little bit of a surprise when former WBC Super Flyweight Champion Guadalupe Martinez came back from a year and 10-month hiatus to lose a majority decision over Mayali Flores. Scores there were 60-55 and, I'm sorry, 60-59, I'm sorry, <laughs> again, 60-55, 59-55 for uh, Flores and an even 57-57. That was a majority decision. That was in the 115-pound Division. So a former champion comes back in, in a tough fight. Her record, uh, Guadalupe Martinez, is, at the time of the fight, was 20 wins, 10 losses, 
six KOs, but despite those 10 losses, she had a pretty good run as a WBC Super Flyweight Champion before she faced uh, Lourdes, La Pequeña Lulu Juarez at the end of 2018. And... Um, you know, her opponent, Mayeli Flores, had an 8-1-1 record with three knockouts, and Flores came up on top with the majority decision. So Martinez is back in the gym. I follow her on social media, and she's not taking this loss on, in the, on the chin. She's actually coming back and looking to fight again. But let's see when she does. Because as far as I know, David, I don't know if she has a promoter. Um, I believe the, uh, the promoter for this fight was Pepe Gomez, who at one point – promoted uh, Alejandra Jimenez, who's the former WBC heavyweight champion, which we're going to talk about in a little bit uh, about that. And I think that Martinez was put on the card, but we don't know exactly if that's her promoter. So I don't know if it's going to be very easy for her to get another opportunity to uh, get another fight in, in, uh, in the near future. On Saturday, September 24th from Germany, uh, Sarah Borman scored a unanimous decision over Mexican Elizabeth Lopez in a 10-rounder for the WBC Silver Minimum Weight title. Scores were 99-92 and 98-92 two times. And from Manchester, England, Amanda Serrano scored a unanimous decision over former world champion Sarah Mahfoud in a 10-rounder to unify the IBF, WBC, and WBO uh, featherweight titles. Mahfoud was the IBF champion coming into the fight. Amanda Serrano, the WBC and WBO world champion. Scores there were 99-92 and 97-93, two times, David. Amanda Serrano, uh, it was talked about that maybe she was going to have the rematch with uh, Taylor. That was soon um, disputed, stated that as no and that she was going to go and try to unify her natural weight class of featherweight, which is now the unified champion and one step away from undisputed. But did you expect such an easy fight for Amanda Serrano with the scores being pretty lopsided. One judge giving uh, Mahfoud only one round and then the other judge giving her three rounds. Did you think that it was going to be as uh, lopsided as it was, David? Uh, yes, I pretty well. I, I really didn't know that much about uh, Mahfoud. Uh, I'd seen little clips, but not enough to really see her against really top-rated competition and uh if you're fighting Amanda Serrano you're fighting you know one of the two three top women fighters in the world at any weight division and uh Amanda put on a really uh superb display of boxing her skill everything accuracy um and my food I, I know got hurt got stunned early and after that she was basically in retreat most of the most of the fight but she did, you know, put up some resistance toward the end. I guess uh, she realized, you know, I might as well go for it because she she knew she was losing every round. Uh, I think her court was advising her, and uh, you know, she did she did well considering that she hadn't really fought anybody like her before. But uh, Amanda's a she's an amazing fighter. I agree with you. I mean, it's very tough to go from actually if you're looking at Sarah Food's record. And now it stands at 11 wins, one loss, three knockouts. She hasn't really had an easy way to get into the world title and get into this fight. You know, she won the title off Nina Menke 
back in February, I'm sorry, April 2022. And before that, she had fought Argentinian Brenda Karen Carabajal in February. And looking at her record, she's fought the majority of her, of her opponents had winning records at the time that she faced. I mean, when she went, she did her pro debut, it was against a zero and three. Then she fought a one and two. Then she won, fought another zero and three. And then in her fourth fight, she had a little bit of a step up, which was against an eight and ten. And then she fought her first opponent with a winning record in Nana Shakavashili with a four and one record. And then she went back and fought a, a one and three fighter. And then since then, which would have been her one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh fight, all she did was fight uh, opponents with winning records. Stephanie Ducastel, Buwike, Nonina, and and then Rolisa de Leon, Brenda Karen Carvajal, Nina Minky, and then she faced Amanda Serrano. So it's pretty respectable record to get to the world title, but I totally agree with you, David. It's one thing facing Nina Minky or Brenda Karen Carvajal and then jumping up to an Amanda Serrano. Amanda Serrano, like you mentioned, she's in the top three of any of the pound-for-pound list by anybody. It doesn't matter who it is, even including us. And it's really, it's really hard to compete against an Amanda Serrano even if you are a world champion, and that's what we saw, you know, it's it's often said that in boxing there's different levels to uh, yeah. to uh, to the game, and Amanda Serrano is right up there in one of in the highest levels. So even though you're a world champion, an undefeated world champion at that, you're going against a completely different animal when you face an Amanda Serrano, and that's what we saw on the night of September 24th. And another surprise a surprise, but uh, that night there was another surprise from Nottingham, England. Terry Harper, who at one point had been the WBC Super Featherweight Champion and was knocked out by the current, in a in, in very spectacular fashion, by the current champion, Alicia Baumgartner. And then she went up to 135 pounds and won a, an international title by the WBC. And then surprisingly, jumps three divisions to challenge Hannah ranking for the WBA 154-pound title and takes the win, David, with the unanimous decision 98-92 two times in 97-93. And one thing that was very interesting in what I saw in, you know, like the weigh-in and even before that, Terry Harper, uh, right days before the weigh-in, shared on her social media a picture of her, you know, uh, showing her muscles and, and she's she 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 really grew into that weight class, David, 154 pounds. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was that was a big question. I remember when she fought at 130, she always seemed a little off, like uh, she wasn't all there. And now I realize, I mean, after seeing this fight at 154, you realize she was starving herself. And when she was fighting, she was probably very weak. And uh, because once she put on the weight, and then even after her fight against Hannah Rankin, which was a good fight, tough fight, she seemed so lucid. When she talked, she seemed very strong with the way she talked, whereas when she was at 130, she seemed very weak when she talked. And I, I now you can see that the weight was killing her, that that wasn't a really good weight for her to fight at. She did it, and she did okay, but uh, I think she's – uh, made for the heavier weight class. 154 seems to be perfect. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that that um, 
that that weight cut must have killed, must have been horrible. I mean, 130 130 pounds and looking so fit and 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 she doesn't look heavy at all at 154 pounds like we've seen it on both the male side and the U.S. side. I mean, the male side and the women's side, that was something when they go up in weight, you could tell that it's not a natural weight for them. They, there's a little bit more weight there than they should be. There's not as cut as they should be. They don't look as strong. They look uh, flabby in a certain way uh, at, a, at a higher weight. But uh, Terry Harper didn't look that – she looked more fit at 154 pounds than Hannah Rankin did. And I think that um, it was a great – career move by her, by her, um, uh, you know, her, her team. Let's be honest. Yeah. At 135 pounds, I mean, you had to face uh, Katie Taylor, and that's a tough fight to face to become a world champion. She's the undisputed world champion at 130 pounds, at 35 pounds. So to get that fight, more than likely she could get that fight, but it was going to be a tough fight to win. At 140, you have Chantel Cameron, and then right now you have um, uh, Jessica McCaskill, two also tough fighters to to face and to try to win a world champion championship title at, at 140. <laughs> one, one, well, I mean, I think that she would have made 140. I think that she could make 135 if, even, and not be as bad as she was at 130 as far as the weight cut. I mean, it would have been done some weight cut, but it wouldn't have been as drastic as what we're seeing at 130. Then you go to 147, you got Jessica McCasco. You got to get through her to get a world title, and that's a tough fight. And then we go to the 154, and there's Anna Rankin. Not that she's a bad fighter, but compared to the other ones that I mentioned, she's not the best fighter out of the ones that I mentioned. So they actually, um, you know, there's like an educated uh, risk, and they say, hey, let's go after her. I think we could beat her. I think we have the boxing skill to beat her. You know, if we come, come in up in weight, you have the frame to, to uh, carry that weight. So if you could get up there the right way with muscle, I think you got a good opportunity to beat Terry Harper, I mean, Hannah Rankin. And she did. And she did. And now she's a WBA and IBO uh, World Super Welterweight Champion. And now... She has the opportunity to look to unify against um, what's her name, the Jonas? Dikari? No, well, Dikari is one of them, but the other one is uh, Natasha Jonas. Oh, Natasha Jonas, yeah. 154 pounds. Right now, the, yeah. the champion at 154 pounds is the WBA Terry Harper, which she just won. Uh, the WBC is Natasha Jones. The IBF is Mary Eve Dikari, who was the champion at at 147. Oh, no, she was a champion at 154, and then Clarissa Shields beat her, and then left the vacant, and, and Mary Eve DeCary won it again. And then the WBO champion is uh, Natasha Jonas. So now Harper has the opportunity to look for, uh, I mean, I think that Mary Eve DeCary is a very uh, good fight against Natasha Jonas, which will be, I think, a rematch of a previous fight that they yeah. had in the past. Was it? Was it a rematch? It was a draw. before, right? And, and uh, yeah, it yeah, was the a fight draw. draw. It was a split draw, so that would be a great fight. Yeah, that would be a great fight to fight at 154 and have that rematch. So I think it opens up a little bit more for Terry Harper at 154 pounds. And let's see what happens. It, 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 now it's starting to get a little bit exciting, that, that weight class in the female boxing. So let's see what 
happens there. But now with us, David, on the line um, from Atlanta, Georgia, I would expect as none other than former world champion and now promoter, Miss Terry Moss. Let's patch her in. Oh, yes, I got you guys. Hello, Terry. How are you doing? Hey, Dave. Hey, how Good you to doing? talk to you again. I'm good. Hey, I'm good. really excited to see you. Thank you for joining us here on the Two Minute Round. My name is Felipe. Actually, Dave, I'm gonna pass the baton to David. He'll take over on the questions, then he'll uh, allow me to do uh, ask you some some questions, and then we'll go from there. Thank you, Terry. You got it. Thank you. Hi, Terry. What a pleasure to hear from you again. You too, David. I was just we were just saying how excited we are to see you at the Hall of Fame next week. Uh, we're we're really looking forward to that. Well, I'm, I'm sad to say, but I can't make it. I can't make that date. What? Uh, oh. Yeah, my my. I have I have a nephew. I'm telling the whole world. Uh, I have a nephew whose 21st birthday is that day, and I had promised to take him out for his 21st birthday. <laughs> so I'm tied up, oh, and I was yeah. like, "Can I get out of this?" <laughs> no, I can't get out of it. <laughs> no, some, some things are worth the worth the worth the missing everything else. So that's worth it right there. Yeah, and he, and he, you know, I've kind of I've raised him for the last six years, and so it's a big thing to him. And is that okay? Absolutely. We're going out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We need but to do what that. about you? When do you arrive? Uh, we I'll be coming in on Thursday. Actually, I have one of my, uh, you know, a girl, uh, one of my boxers, kind of. Uh, she she did some masters boxing with me, you know, uh, for quite a few years, and. Uh, then I turned around and played softball with her, and she was my coach. But, you know, we both uh, are horrible at each other's sports. I'm just kidding. She's actually undefeated, let me say that. So, But I'm horrible at her sports. So, um, but she's going to come along uh, really follows women's boxing. And so I'll have a guest with me, and then, of course, I'll be uh, meeting up with Amy Green and Melissa Smith and uh, Sue and all the favorites. I'm really excited to see everybody. Oh, I sure I. Uh, I really regret not, not being able to make it. I was planning so much to to do and see and talk with everybody, but I guess it's gonna have to be another time. But but there tell me go. more about the promotion company. You have uh, what's going on with it, and and what plans do you have coming up? Sure. Well, um, I, I do you know quite a few different kinds of shows, but I have one Thursday. Um, if that's the one you're asking about. I have one tomorrow actually. Um, this Atlanta Corporate Fight Night. Um, it's my 15th installment, so we're celebrating a big anniversary. And then um, I got a, you know several things coming up: a pro show at that same venue in December. And then I've got, uh, you know, I do collegiate boxing promotions now too. So we've got a college fight night in December, and then I've got another um, uh, amateur show. So we, we do we do pro amateur <laughs> collegiate boxing. I mean, just do them all. But but the one we've got on the plate right now is for tomorrow night. Um, Atlanta Corporate Fight Night 15, and that's going to be at um, Center Stage Theater in Atlanta. It's an old, uh, very uh, landmark. Uh, um, it's an old building. It's a uh, like a concert venue, so it's it's a really historical place in Atlanta. We're excited to be there. So, so what's the boxing scene like now, since the time you first started, and to this point? What's the scene like in Atlanta? It is very different. So. You know, we've long been known for a place where, you know, boxing, you know, very, very little boxing in the south, especially Atlanta, which is, you know, a pretty metropolitan city. We've got the busiest airport in the world. You know, we've got, I don't know, six or seven million people here. And then, you know, just why is there no boxing? But <laughs> things are changing down, um, you know, and 
in 2021, I did 16. I had 16 pro shows at my venue. Um, plus, we did some amateur, some uh, you know, some corporate boxing, some collegiate boxing. Did a bunch of things. So quite a lot of shows just in one year. And then uh, you know, people coming from all over the country here. And now we've got Tom Brown Promotions, uh, December 17th, doing I think it's their second or third installment um, at the State Farm Arena. Um, here in Atlanta, which is a, you know, really nice uh, arena with a jumbotron, you know, a showtime venue for sure. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping to do one of my own shows there pretty soon. <laughs> so I uh, just got to get the wow. right uh, combination of people, you know, putting things together. So, um, but, yeah, they're, they're, it's starting to move here. I mean, we got some things. There's Shakur Stevenson, Tank Davis are fighting here. You know, we've got, you know, I mean, of course, uh, you know, some of the up-and-comings, Evan Holyfield and, uh, Nico Ali Walsh, you know, they they bring those guys in here. And uh, Malik Montgomery, we got, you know, so I mean, he trains with Kenny Porter and his brother. He's got another brother named Mikhail. So we got some locals that are up and coming. And then we've got, you know, some of the some of the big guys are coming around. So hopefully uh, it's going to be, you know, I, I expect a change in Atlanta and, you know, over the next five or six years to, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely going to become a place where boxing is uh, – much more well known, so we've seen big changes. And what about in terms of women's boxing? Has that uh, uh, caught on? Hello. Hello, David. Do I lose you? Uh, I'm here. Can you hear me? Hello? Hey, David, it sounds like we're having the... Can you hear us, Terry? Oh, yes, I have you guys now. So sorry about okay. that. Well, I don't know what ahead, happened David. here. We lost you. Yeah. Go ahead, David. Uh, Terry, what, uh, how is the women's boxing scene uh, uh, doing in Atlanta? Uh, well, I'm going to be real honest. It doesn't seem to be what it used to be. So... <laughs> I, I'm finding a lot, uh, a lot harder time finding, you know, women's boxing here than I did maybe 10 years ago. Uh, just a lot more men. So um, hopefully that's going to pick up here, um, and we'll, you know, we'll get this moving, pre- you know, pretty soon again. Although boxing, it hasn't been very, uh, you know, very active in my opinion. But too bad. Too <laughs> soon. What um, do you think is shown like the one that's coming up this Saturday? Uh, in uh, from from London, do you think that has any kind of impact? Or will will it have the impact? Yeah, for sure. In women's boxing, it absolutely does. I mean, I think there there's a huge growth on on the platform. I just think it, you know, for some reason where I'm at, I'm not seeing it. I don't, you know, and it's noticeably different. But I, over the last six months, I have seen more women in my gym and more women fighters there. But uh, over the past two or three years, it's, it's, it seems like it's been a huge decline. But maybe that's what the difference is, why I'm seeing them back in there now. And uh, these, these big men's cards are headlining. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see that. I'm really excited about the fights. And, um, it's, you know, it, it has to change. Uh, the, the platform is changing, so it has to change, you know, the whole world when it comes to women's boxing. Yeah, I, I expect uh, this fight on Saturday to, to give some kind of spark and especially with the the platform that they're at with these four uh, top women. I mean, they're not just champions. They're the top of the, the cream of the crop. 
and I, I right. think I'm, I'm hoping that takes a spark everywhere, not just uh, in certain areas, not just in England, not just in New York, but everywhere that they're going to be watching it. Right, right. No, there's you know people talk about even around uh, you know what I see. I've got I've got a pretty big uh, gym, David, and it's pretty busy, and we have a lot of people come through there. They're inboxing. And but I hear a lot more people talking about the women's fight. Even you know my clients, even just uh, you know people in the gym, kids, girls. You know I hear I hear a lot more talk about the women's fights. They're they're treated equally now as far as the fans are concerned. I don't see that the fans are really like younger fans. I don't see that they're really differentiating between a male and a female fight. They they really consider a fight a fight, which is a good sign to me. Yeah. No. Absolutely. What about when you fought and. Because you you actually performed in the in the prize ring, and then what was it like to watch Amanda and Katie fight on this uh, Madison Square Garden in front of a sold out arena and in front of millions of fans? What was it like to see that? It, I mean, it was amazing. I, honestly, from the standpoint where I was at, and you know, by the time when, the time during when I fought, I mean. There were some, you know, of course, Christy Martin, Leilali, and Regina Holmick, some of the Mexican fighters, you know, they're European fighters. I mean, they were they were making some noise, but, but I, you know, some of us were like, it's never going to be like that, you know, as a whole, you know. And a lot of people were saying that. So I feel like, the, you know, change is here and it's permanent and it's only going to go up from here. So, I, I mean, I, I watch it now and I'm just, you know, I'm so happy and I'm so enthused that, you know, now we can see – you know, I think women's boxing is here to stay. In other words. And I feel like uh, it's, it's there's nowhere to go but up for us at this point. You know, once the pays eventually uh, get closer, you know, the pay levels get closer to what what the men have, then then we'll say that, you know, everybody can uh, can feel like it's the same. But, you know, some countries, David, it depends on where you go. If you go to South Korea, women are the headliners there that are make you know, they make more money and they're – you know the the male fights are much less important um, in that country. So and that that and I've, I saw that I've been over there several times. You know, uh, sitting in with the WIBA, I mean WIBF, and then the uh, ABF as a supervisor for the title fights. You know, I used to do that, and you know the women's fights were all that mattered over there. So I don't think it's going to do that, but I but so it just shows that there can be you know permanent change, and people can really. You know, look at the women as headliners now. So this, it's you know, this is the best ever for us. And I, I mean, if it, it made if it made Eddie Hearn take notice, and it's making you know top rank, it's making everybody take notice. You know, it's 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 time. So I I think it's a great thing. It's very exciting to watch. Um, I'm going to pass you over to Felipe because I know he has a lot of questions for you too. But thank you, Terry. Thank you so much. Sorry about the technical problem there. No, no problem. Oh, no. Thank you, David. Terry. You know, you, you fought for quite a while. You were a world champion. At what point in your career as a fighter did you see the promotional side and said, hey, that's something that I can do? Or was it after uh, you stopped fighting that you kind of looked into uh, into promoting? Well, I, I mean, I, I was a little bit older even when I got into boxing. So, I mean, I knew that I was going to have a short shelf life, you know, so – I, um, you know, I got in with the idea that uh, fighting would probably not be, you know, the most that I could do if I wanted, depending on how long I wanted to stay in. So 
I was already, you know, considering things like that, you know, really kind of when I got into boxing. So I was looking at promotions. I was looking at training. I was looking at, I, I guess I didn't really, you know, expect that I would own a gym, but I did expect, you know, certain things. So, you know, that I was going to probably work in more than one direction and, you know, in, in boxing. So, uh, but, you know, then again, you know, no matter what you think when it actually comes to fruition, you're like, you just really can't believe it actually happened. And, you know, now here I'm, you know, several, I've been promoting, I mean, I'm 22 years in boxing. I've been promoting shows for about 13 years and, uh, you know, I've done so many, I, you know, I just, I can say that I'm, you know, to the level of any other club show promoter that does a lot of shows. I've got probably 50 or 60 shows under, you know, under my belt. Uh, I think, uh, you know, at this point now I'm, I'm trying to figure out what else I want to do. But, you know, it's it's, uh, it, it's a very – one of the things I love about boxing is always that, you know, I'm a fan too, so I get to be at the shows, I get to do the shows, I get to put on good shows, and it's, you know, it's it's been a good part of my career. Now there's a famous quote by, in my opinion, the best promoter that's been out there, Bob Aaron, which says that the desert is strewn by the beach bones of – people that wanted to dabble in promoting. You mentioned that you've been promoting for, for I mean, you got 60 shows. That's a lot of shows. You've survived the, the dabbling stage of boxing promotion. What do you think you have done different than other promoters that perhaps didn't go as far as you have in, in boxing promotion? Well, you know, but from being a fighter, I learned how to get off the canvas, so... I think that's what makes a difference. You know, I'm just not very willing to quit um, where maybe – I mean, you're, you're absolutely – I mean, Bobby Aaron knows what he's talking about because I have so many come through me. In fact, it's, it's, to, it's another part of my business now. I actually, I'm a consultant as well, and I consult new promoters on shows. I've got one right now that I'm working with, and, I, you know, I charge them the consultation fee and have certain kinds of rules about what it's going to be, you know, working under my tutelage, and then I teach them how to get through the shows and – uh, you know that is, so he's right because I've learned to make make a business out of that. So uh, yeah, there and and most of them don't last more than one show. You've got you know that's I would say probably you know when you're looking at club shows maybe seventy percent don't make it past their first show and then you got maybe a couple you know another small percentage that get to two or three. But yeah, um, I think the difference for me is just been you know I mean I I, I know that I want to be in boxing and I can't fight. This is what I want to do. I want to move my fighters. You know, I want to enjoy the shows. I love building a good event. You know, it's just, it's just what I love to do. So that might be the difference. Is I, I had boxing in my blood before. You know, I just wanted to be a promoter, where a lot of guys probably come from other small businesses, and, you know, they, they think I'm a businessman or I'm a, you know, DJ or all these things, and that they can manage, the you know, a boxing show because they do other things. But, you know, we all know that boxing is a whole different animal from any other kind of business. <laughs> So that probably has something to do with why they don't make it, but why I do is because I already knew boxing before I got in. So that could be part of it. You know, there's a, there's a, a certain image, and it hasn't been helped by the guy that I just mentioned, uh, Bob Arum and Don King, and before them, other, you know, shady characters that have been boxing promoters. So there's like this image I think by some boxing fans and and maybe casual boxing fans that, you know, the boxing promoter is, you know, a shady character and he's out to rip you off and so on and so forth. But the people that are in boxing like us, we know that there 
they're a big component. They're a big cog. They're the ones that actually, you know, um, investing and possibly, you know, losing money and time and effort to promote fighters and promote fights. What can be done to change that that image that that the casual or some boxing fans of of, of the promoter? Right. Well, mo- you know, uh, unfortunately, most of that is true. So, you know, um, you know, some, in, in a large part, you know, promoters aren't the most, uh, you know, they don't, they're not the most uh, people with the most integrity. You know, it's, it's it's about money a lot of times. And you know, I do personally try to be one of the good guys in boxing. But and you know, one thing I've learned is you can't make everybody happy. There's still people that I make mad and there's still going to be people that, uh, you know, aren't happy with what I do, you know, so the fighters aren't always happy. Uh, you know, if some, you know, if, if one gets, uh, you know, the commission takes their purse because they take a knee, you know, in the end, you know, <laughs> I mean, those kind of things don't, uh, you know, in Georgia, you know, we, they'll take your purse if they think that you took a dive. So, I mean, some things like that, you're, you're always going to have issues, but I mean, I, as far as, far as changing, I mean, I mean, some of the boxing people that are in there that actually come up in boxing, you know, I think are the ones that stick around on the club level the longest because they, they've got some invested time into the sport, you know. Then, um, But I, I think if there was some kind of – I mean, I, I know a lot of people are going to agree, but if there was some kind of regulation, uh, you know, that maybe some kind of even, uh, I don't know, a league or if there was some kind of way that there was some – you know, any agency that held a standard other than the Association of Boxing Commissions, which really doesn't regulate a lot of things, you know, if there, you know, there would have to be some, somebody out there to have some kind of guideline to make, uh, you know, promoters follow certain things as well as boxers, you know, and then, and, you know, the same for managers, you know, but there's nothing out there really to make anybody do any one thing. So, you know, that's until something like that happens, we're probably always going to have, you know, the slimy element of boxing. But to some people, that's the intriguing part. You know, that that's what makes that, you know, that uh, businessman want to go into that gym and feel all the grit uh, of of what they're doing. You know, those are the kind of things that they really love. So it's just hard to tell. I mean, uh, but I really don't know how to clean it up other than if there was something in there that none of us uh, will all, you know, not that all of us will love. Some of us will like it and some of us won't. You know, it just depends. But, uh, you know, I, I will say this thing. As a promoter, you know, I know that the whole thing is to look out for the safety and, and the and uh, you know, all the, the assets of the boxer. But sometimes, uh, you know, promoters can get really, uh, you know, whew, you can get had very easily, you know, by, by fighters and by certain things. So if there was something there that could, uh, you know, make it a fair business plan for, for fighters, for promoters, for managers, for everybody involved, that would be, you know, probably the solution there. But, you know, everybody needs to get their, you know, their their business handled, you know, in a fair way. I think that would solve the problem. Thank you, Terry. Before we let you go, why don't you give us the information for our followers and our listeners of where they can uh, get more information regarding your fight cards, uh, the one that's happened this Saturday, and any of them in the future if they're interested in the uh, Atlanta area. Sure. We've got a lot, a lot going on in Atlanta. There's a show, there's a pro show uh, almost every Friday, Saturday, and some Sundays here in, in Atlanta now. So uh, if you're looking for pro boxing, amateurs the same way. There's amateur shows. Um, I personally like pro-am shows. I know some people don't like them, but I love those shows. But, uh, I'm, you know, maybe I'll get one of those off. I haven't done one in a while. But um, So my, my show is uh, my big show tomorrow. That's my biggest show that I do, the 
the biggest investment I have in shows. Um, tomorrow, Center Stage Theater in Atlanta. You can get uh, tickets on Ticketmaster.com. Uh, first bells at 7 p.m. We're having an OG reunion from a bunch of boxers that fought uh, over the last 14 shows. Uh, and, uh, again, this is our 15th anniversary, so it's, that's going to be fun. Uh, we, there's a pro show the following Saturday night. That's going to be Southpaw Promotions. Billy Blee, he's out of uh, Tennessee. He comes in and does some shows in Atlanta. Then December 9th, uh, I've got another one at Center Stage, Crow Boxing. So, you know, there's, there's a lot. Every weekend uh, you can just kind of look around town and find something you want. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for being with us here on the two-minute round, and uh, we wish you all the luck in the world, and hopefully we'll have you sometime again in the future. Thank you so much, and thanks for tolerating the ride. What happened? You know, we just got uh, – there was an accident, and I got stuck on the road while you guys were talking. So sorry about that technical difficulty, and as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you guys, and I uh, hope to see you soon, David. Oh, yes, definitely, Terry. Say hi to Amy for me. I will for sure. Thank you. Have a good night. Thank you so much. All right, you too. And there you have it, Atlanta, Georgia-based promoter, former fighter Terry Moss, born in uh, Denver, but makes her home out there in the southeast of the United States. She had a pretty uh, uh, busy pro career, started in 2002, ended in 2007, only five years as a pro, but she fought about 18 times, and uh, she fought for... uh, a title, the vacant WIBC minimum title, came up a little bit short against Christina Belinsky, um, but she faced some of the some of the better fighters of that area era, and now she, I think, has found her calling in uh, promoting boxing. I mean, she's been promoting for a long time. David. Oh yeah, that's one of the hardest sports to do is oh, boxing. Yeah. Uh, boxing promotions. She's as you know too. Most people uh, that are listening. Um, I'm letting you know that Felipe has a lot of experience as a promoter himself. He's also very good. You're probably going to get a lot of calls now, Felipe. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, I mean, mean, that's that's some of the questions that I had for her. I mean, it's very disheartening sometimes, you know, when you're a boxing promoter that people think that you're – I mean, that you're a – I mean, I hate to throw dirt on the guy, but he really made it hard for other boxing promoters when you talk about, you know, Don King, you know. I mean, if you read his books, and I have not the books he hasn't written, but books that have been written about him. And there's, other, there's been other promoters. I mean, he wasn't the first one, but there were other promoters back in the day that made a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, um, you know, questionable and, and unethical practices with their fighters and their promotions and things like that. And that's what's giving the uh, the boxing promoter a bad name. But there's been a lot of boxing promoters that, you know, have tried to, um, you know, just further the sport, help fighters. And one that comes to mind and, and one that's close to my heart, and he just unfortunately just passed away not too long ago, is longtime San Diego boxing promoter Bobby DeFilippe, better known as Bobby D Presents. He promoted um, um, from the early 80s all the way into, I mean, maybe five, six years ago. I learned a lot of what I know about that business from him, working with him, working along with him. And, um, and you know, I've met people all over the world, you know, that are involved in boxing. And whenever I mention Bobby DeFilippe to him, not one of them has a bad thing to say about the guy. And I think at the end of the Very day – that's the uh, 
that's the bench. That's like the benchmark, right? Like, you know, there, there's always going to be something, but with Bobby D and others as well, but him as the example, there wasn't, there wasn't ever anything that somebody would say, oh, Bobby did this to me, or I heard Bobby did that, or Bobby, um, you know, whatever it was, it was, there was never one person that said um, that Bobby didn't do what he said he was going to do. And even beyond that, beyond what, what he said to do, and uh, I had the, pl- the honor of being there at his funeral and his, uh, and his, uh, and his, uh, everything, the services for him. And one gentleman said, you know, Bobby made people's dreams come true, especially fighters. And it's true because he's the one, he's a promoter, promoted a lot of, uh, of boxers. And even though he was an old school guy from Philadelphia, you know, an Italian, proud Italian and, and, you know, you know, just old school Italian dude, he didn't turn his back on female boxing. And when he was given the opportunity to become a female boxing promoter, which he did, promoting Kenny Enriquez and also putting on his cards a number of female, a local female boxers, he was awarded at one point the NABF female, uh, female uh, promoter of the year one year, you know? And that's something that I think that was one of his proudest moments for uh, for Bobby D. So rest in peace, Bobby D. Yeah, great man, a really truly great man. Um, now moving on to um, the fight review. As we wait for our second guest, Melissa Smith, author of the book A History of Women's Boxing, call in. Let's go back to fight of September 30th. David from Tijuana, Mexico, speaking of Ken Enriquez, her younger sister, Tania Enriquez, who is an undefeated light flyweight southpaw. Kenya is a, is a orthodox fighter. Her sister, a slightly taller, about four inches taller, and a southpaw who is 18 and known now, knocked out in the first round. Colombia's Mayelid Altamara in a scheduled eight-rounder at 108 pounds. She scored a TKO. I was at the fight. She scored a straight left. Uh, that kind of like shocked and stunned Altamar. Uh, one thing about Tanya, you know, that I've seen, I mean, all her fights, and I've seen her sisters, all her fights, being that they're from from Tijuana, and I'm in this re, re, uh, region, you know, if when, you, when people talk about Tanya Enriquez, they talk about her, her boxing talent, her technical side, her, her height and, and reach, for the weight class, 108 pounds, um, but they never really speak about her killer instinct. When and, and when you have Ken Enriquez beside you, you know that might overshadow. But Tanya does have a. If she sees you hurt, she goes after you and she tries to stop you. And she's done it time and time again. And she did it in this fight, which was wasn't a surprise that once she realized that Altamar was hurt. She went after her and stopped the fight. She's actually 19 and 0 now with nine knockouts. Um, so it is expected, David, that sometime soon she will be fighting for a world title. Um, she was at one point scheduled to challenge Jessica Neri Plata for the WBA light flyweight title in September, but there was a couple of issues there with the fight date, and the fight date had to change. And when it did, Jessica Neri Plata uh, decided to get out of the fight, which you know, it's understandable. 
And then um, she ended up signing to fight Kim Clavel in December, which turned out to be a better thing for Jessica Neri Plata. So Tanya right now is hovering. She's ranked number three by the WBC at light flyweight, number one by the W by the IBF. And the WBA has her ranked number three at flyweight um, when she's a junior flyweight. Mm. So I think the promoter is looking to try to change that and try to get her ranked at 108 pounds. Uh, but David, I mean, it's just a matter of time that Tanya Rikis gets to uh, challenge for a world title. Um, it looks like she's going to be fighting at the end of November to close out the year, hopefully at 20 and 0, and then we'll see what kind of opportunity she gets in 2023, David. Yeah, she's one of those uh, not very discussed fighters, kind of under the you and me have known for a long time, <laughs> but now the secret's starting to come out that she's the one to look at. And I mean, a power one away, that's pretty, pretty astounding. Yeah, and, and the thing is, you know, she had a baby. She took a, a hiatus. She had a little bit of some uh, some injuries. And then she doesn't have like a um, – compared to her sister, she doesn't have that kind of personality. She's kind of like really shy. You know, her sister is really good at social media, and she has a lot of followers and things like that. And and Tanya doesn't. You know, Tanya's just like – she's a mom. She's a, a mom to a, a little five-year-old girl. She's married. She she's, has a family, she has a, a home life, and she likes that. But her day job, you know, every day is going to the boxing gym and, and boxing. So, you know, she's not she's not really out there. But when it comes to fighting, you know, I think that she is going to, I think, uh, prove who she is in 2023. So we'll see what happens there. And we'll keep you posted on her next fight, which looks to be at the end of November. On Saturday, October 1st in Tijuana, Mexico as well. We saw the last fight of one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Mexican female fighter of all time. Jackie Nava scored a unanimous decision over Gloria Yacanqueo in a scheduled 10 rider at 122 pounds. Scores there 98-92 and 97-93 two times. So uh, Jackie Nava, uh, for a while she had been, you know, threatening to, to – um, to retire. She actually has announced her retirement. She ends up her career with a record of 39 wins, four losses, four draws. She only has been stopped once, and that was by the, the great Argentinian fighter Alejandra Ontiveros. She scored 16 knockouts out of 39 wins. She began her, actually, she's 40 and four with four draws, including this last win, 16 knockouts. She started her career, David, in 2001. So she has been a pro for over 20 years, David. And, you know, we've seen her. She was crowned the first um, She was crowned the first WBC female world champion of all time. She won the WBC World Super Bantamweight title by, uh, by, with a unanimous decision over Leona Brown back in 2005. But what a lot of people don't know, David, is that she actually one fight before she found the WBA Bantamweight champion with the seventh-round stoppage of Marta Leticia Arevalo, and then she got more, you know, more uh, recognized for being the first WBC champion um, in the history of the of the organization. But she's been a 
You know, she's been a WBC champion, WBA champion, 118 pounds, 122 pounds. So, obviously, her most recognized and most remembered fights were those two wars that she had against um, Ana Maria Torres. The first one was in 2011, which was a draw. The second one was a uh, in the same year, three months later. Uh, and Ana Maria Torres ended up taking that uh, that fight with. I mean, it was it was six rounds to four, 96-94, three times by all three judges. So it was a very, very close fight. But besides Ana Maria Torres, she fought Jennifer Salinas. She fought Chantel Martinez. She fought uh, Lisa Brown. She fought Alicia Ashley. She fought uh, uh, the Argentinian, um, uh, a Marcela Acuña, La Tigresa. What do you remember most about Jackie Nava's career, David? Oh, absolutely, the Ana Maria Torres fight. I mean, those were, at the time, I had never seen anything like it. Uh, I had seen other fights, but they were really great, uh, but they were like six rounds or eight rounds. But that fight, that fight kind of like, uh, kind of showed you a female Mexican boxing at its best. And uh, they were, and skilled. They weren't just wild punching. They they were skilled warriors and that kind of uh uh I'll never forget that. I mean I still watch that fight every once in a while. I'll say, I gotta I'm gonna watch this fight again. <laughs> you know, that's what so good. You know, just people that don't know, she actually started off as a kickboxer and her husband her and her husband actually met at the boxing gym um as kickboxers. And then just out of, you know, her, the, her trainer, her longtime trainer, her trainer for her whole career was Miguel Reyes, who is a renowned kickboxer here in Tijuana and, and, a, and a mixed martial artist, you know, who trained her her whole career along with her husband. You know, kind of just threw it out there. Hey, they're offering me a fight in Hawaii, a boxing match. What do you think? And she went and, and she took it and she won it in Hawaii. Her pro debut was at the Aloha Tower Marketplace in Honolulu against a 1-0 hey. fighter. Vicky Cozy, yes, I, I'm surprised you didn't know that. And then I didn't know that. <laughs> it, it was at 130 and a super featherweight, 128 pounds. And um, and then she actually. So then, what made her stay as a boxer was the fact that you know the opportunities were starting to get a lot better in boxing than kickboxing. So she's like, well, then I just stay as a boxer. Then you know, it kind of came with um. At a certain time, when she ended up fighting for that WBC world title, they, uh, Eric Morales was a was a fighter, and he had obviously he was making a lot of money back then when he was an active fighter, and um, he had a promotional company, so he signed her to that promotional company, and then uh, you know really supported her career early on, got her the opportunity for that WBC title, which she won, but then when she ended up. Uh, Fighting Ana Maria Torres, you know, Eric Morales' time as a professional boxer was coming to an end. His promotional company wasn't that, doing that well, and she ended up signing to the biggest um, to the biggest promoter in Mexico, if not Latin America, Sanford Promotions, and then they're the ones that developed the rest of her career up to this point. And after the Ana Maria Torres fight, she became a household name all over Mexico and in Tijuana. Forget about it, David. Every, ever since that fight, whenever she fought in Tijuana, she would sell out the the auditorium here, which fits about five thousand people. I mean, it was like the 
the go-to ticket for that weekend when she was when she was <laughs> fighting the auditorium after the Ana Maria Torres fight. You know, and she's fought in bigger venues, but that uh, that auditorium became her home here. And you know, there's nothing that you can say about um, about Jackie Nava. She became she's an architect, she's a mother, she's a professional fighter, obviously a first ballot Hall of Famer when her time comes in three years to go into the hall. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, she she was a, a, a politician and everything, so she's pretty much done it all. And now we're gonna see what she does in this next phase of her career. She has a, her and her husband have a gym, so they have some fighters there. I don't know if she's I don't think she's gonna become like a full on everyday type of trainer. I think she might go into I mean architecture or politics or whatever. She could become the mayor of Tijuana at one point. I I think um, so. We'll see what happens, but. You know, Jackie Nava, her last fight was on October 1st. She won a United decision over Argentinian Gloria Elena Jacanqueo, and that is the end of her at, as a fighter at 42 years of age. So then we have uh, in Tepic. Oh, let me tell you, David, before we move on, the thing that I remember most about Jackie Nava, it wasn't any of her fights, but I've had the, the honor to cover uh, her, her fights and to – you know, go to see her train. And I've been in a lot of camps. I've been in a lot of gyms. I've interviewed a lot of fighters in, in the boxing gym while they're getting ready for fights, world title fights, whatever. The biggest things that you could imagine, I've had the opportunity to be there. And I've never seen somebody train as intensely, as seriously, as hard as Jackie Nava does every time that I've seen her in the gym. I mean, it's just, it's it's like workmanlike. It's like, it's like she goes in there and she does what she needs to do. There's no fanfare. There's no wasted movement or wasted time. She goes and does what she needs to do intensely, and then she gets out and she's done for the day. And that was something that I would remember uh, about her career. So more more so than any fight that I've seen of her. And I've seen some good ones here in Tijuana and other places live of hers. But that is one thing that I always remember about Jackie Nava and her career. So good luck for, to her, to her uh, future endeavors. And yes. we move on to Saturday, October 1st, the same night. But in the big night, I think there was another shocker when Lourdes La Pequeña Lulu Juarez, the sister of Mariana Juarez, lost her WBC 115-pound title uh, via majority decision to Ashley Gonzalez. Scores were 96-94 two times and 95-95. David, I have information they have a rematch clause, okay? And this rematch mm-hmm. has to happen by December. Oh. If if the oh. fight, if, if the rematch, it's just it's in the contract. It has to happen by December. And if it doesn't happen by December, the promote Ashley Gonzalez promoter is gonna have to pay a hefty fine to Pequeña Lulu's uh, uh, promoter. It's just part of the contract. That's what they negotiated, and. Um, so we might be able, we might be seeing the rematch um, as early as December, and it might be in Tepic Nayarit again, or somewhere not in the hometown of Pequeña Lulu Juarez, which is Mexico City, or not her home away from home, which is Ciudad Juarez, uh, Chihuahua, right across the border from El Paso, Texas, because that's where her promoter, Promociones del Pueblo, is based out of, and she's fought there numerous times. It might not be there, so. Some people are calling this, you know, a local decision. The fight was close. It was a majority decision. Some people might say that 
Pequeña Lulu wanted, but since it was in the hometown of Ashley Gonzalez, she went and became the world champion. But if her, if the, her promoter, Ashley Gonzalez, is on the hook to do this rematch, then more than likely it's going to be in Ashley Gonzalez's hometown, David. Uh, interesting, yeah. I did see just a round. And, uh, I mean, I can't raise the whole fight in the ground, but, but uh, I did see uh, how they could score the fight for Ashley, but I just saw a lot of inaccurate punching by her. She did, threw a lot of punches, but I yeah. just saw uh, Wattis uh, slipping almost all of them. <laughs> and then she captured with one or two back, and mm-hmm. I, I could see where – Judges would give it to Ashley. I was a close, it was a close fight. It was a close yeah. fight, and, you know, I think that it could have gone either way, but the fact that, obviously, like, it was in Tepic, Nayarit, and that's Ashley's hometown, and not saying that there was some hometown cooking, but, you know, the judges are there, and they might get influenced yeah. by the yells and by the screaming and, thing like, and things like that. And she might throw a combination yeah. and score one punch, and, they, and, the, and the crowd goes nuts, and the judge remembers it as so, and, and things like that happen. That's why, you know, there's hometown, oh, yeah. home, home canvas advantage in this case. So we'll see what happens. If I hear any more news, I'll keep you guys posted. But as far as I know, that that um, that rematch has to happen contractually by mid-December. And on the line now, David, with us is the author of A History of Women's Boxing, Miss Melissa Smith. So let me patch her on there. Hello, Miss. Hey, how are you? What a great Good, show! I've been listening. It's terrific. Oh, thank you. It was so nice, so nice to hear Terry too. Yeah. It's a two-minute round. Your hooks and jobs look at female boxing. This is episode number one thirty-two. My name is Felipe Leon, Mrs. Smith, and with us, as always, is Mr. David Avila. He's going to take over the questions, then he'll pass them on to me. Go ahead, David. Melissa, hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I haven't seen you since, um, wow, I guess since last year, right? In Vegas. Were you there? I can't even remember. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I did see you in Vegas right, on the last Hall of Fame. Right, yeah. So, yeah. And, and I'll be yeah. flying out uh, next week because we have our ninth annual International Women's Boxing Hall of Fame starting uh, festivities on uh, the induction cer- ceremony will be on Saturday, October 22nd. So it's really exciting. Yeah, I was sad to tell uh, Terry that I'm not unable to make that uh, the event next week, uh, which is sad for me. But uh, but I'm wishing everybody a, a great time and and everybody uh, uh, their respect for being inducted. And and yourself, uh, I wanted to talk about your book. I I, I love your book. Uh, I, I'm just thankful that you were able to get, to give it to me. Most people don't realize that there's almost nothing out there. Uh, regarding women's boxing, the history. Well, How did you come really about to get that idea? Well, it, well, first of all, there there really isn't. And, you know, I published my book, I guess now it's coming up on eight years, and there's still no one who came behind me with anything that is comprehensive, um, which is what my book is. I came to the idea because I, I actually had gone back to college in my 50s and and got my master's degree in uh, something as useful as liberal studies. (laughs) But the beauty of that was because it was for me, um, I I tickled 
the thing that I was really fascinated with, which is women's boxing. And I did a thesis on, on, you know, how women's boxing falls into this funny category where historically there have been times when it's been very accepted, such as in the 1880s and 1890s in the United States, which people would hear and go, what, what are you talking about? There were women's <laughs> boxing in the 1880s. It's like, yeah, they were. They were popular enough to be on, um, you know, uh, on, on trading cards, you know. So, um, and uh, but what I had found when I was doing my research, and, and my research at that time had to do with, you know, how, you know, we have the the gender binary of men and women, and how uh, bo- boxing is considered a very hyper masculine sport. So there was always a lot of anger at women practicing the sport and doing well in it. And I was very fascinated with why that was the case and what periods of time when it was acceptable versus not being acceptable. So things like during the interwar years between World War One and World War Two, it was quite acceptable. But in the 1950s, it really wasn't. And then in the 70s, we saw a rise. And it came down in the 80s, came back up in the 90s, and it disappeared from television and in the 20, in the aughts, uh, really, since, you know, sometime after Layla Ali retired, you didn't see boxing on any national broadcasts until um, really Amanda Serrano showed up on a CBS show in 2015. So um, anyway, I, I became very fascinated with the sport. And more than that, I, w- I practiced it myself, uh, you know, as a, I'll call myself a Saturday boxer. But I trained um, you know, at Gleason's gym three times a week and did some sparring and so on. And because I was at Gleason's, there were a lot of female boxers there, really brilliant champions like Alicia Ashley, who you mentioned, had fought Jackie Nava for the WBC title. Um, there, Heather Hardy, who is still boxing, is on a Gleason's gym. And women like uh, Sonia Lamonicus, who made a bit of a splash as a heavyweight mm-hmm. in the arts. And, um, so I, I had the opportunity to, to really not only train alongside these women, but come to appreciate their hard work and their effort and the fact that they were underpaid. At any kind of fight they got was always money out of their pockets, never money in, and really wanted to expose that and, and give them the history they deserved. So I, I had the opportunity with a publisher to um, put together a history of the sport, which had never been done before, very challenging and fun at the same time, and went through a lot of really, really old newspapers and other kinds of research to uncover a history that's always been there in plain sight, but no one had ever really picked up the threads. So uh, it was a, an enormously gratifying project and um, one that I have continued to grow with by continuing to write about the sport and now actually have a contract to do a second book. This one will wow, focus good. on the last 10 years of the sport from um, the Olympics in 2012 through our current era of the super fight because so much has happened in the last 10 years, as you both know and have been so brilliant in in talking about and 
and bringing out into the open, you know, the importance of what the last 10 years have meant to the sport, where fighters like Clarissa Shields and Michaela Mayer, who will be um, showing their prowess on that remarkable card this Saturday in London, uh, have really changed the sport entirely. But it's not only on them. It's, It's also every other fighter who's been plugging away for the last 20 years that made the amateur programs possible that made the Olympics possible. And then once that the sport was legitimized as an Olympic entry, um, it really gave notice that there was a different the, I think promoters began to recognize that there might be some marketability for these fighters. So someone like Marlon Esparza, who was able to capitalize on her, Olympic experience and her bronze medal to become one of the first golden golden boy fighters and, and to really push the envelope in the sport by doing contesting three minute rounds in Las Vegas on ESPN card. So that was really exciting stuff. And um, so that the sport continues to move and grow. And I feel immensely uh, humbled by the fact that I get the opportunity to talk and write about the sport over what the last 10 years has meant and what that impact is on the lives of the fighters. If there was three things that you could uh, change in women's boxing, what would it be? Wow. Well, for one, um, I would change the negative perception of the meaning of the two-minute round. You know, one of the things that irritates me more than anything else is, you know, women have no control over how many rounds they fight. It all has to do with sanctioning bodies and what promoters Mm -hmm. are willing to pay or willing to put on their show. Do they really want a woman's 36 minutes or would they rather get it done in 20 or 15? Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, and yet you listen in on broadcasting, not all broadcasters, but some broadcasters. And the first thing is like, well, it's women. You know, they only fight two minutes. It's like, the heck with you. What are you talking about? Do you know anything about why they fight two minutes? How women had to fight for the right to just fight two minutes at all? You know, so that, that's one thing. Yeah. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> Allow us to be. It is what it is. You want it to be three minutes, talk to WBC. <laughs> talk to them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. you know, what are some other things you might want to change? What, what about the 10, ten rounds? Uh, ten do rounds you think too. that women should I mean, fight 12? Be, yeah, women can fight two by 12. Women can fight three. Listen, Layla McCarter and Melissa Hernandez were fighting three by 12 championship mm-hmm. fights in Vegas in what, 20, 2007, 2008, whenever yeah. they had their, yeah. their championship bouts. I mean, it's not like women never fought three rounds. Every woman I know trains three times 12 for a fight. Come on. <laughs> That's what you got to do. I trained three-minute rounds. I'm 68 years old, you know. So, <laughs> so whether or not we go to three minutes or stay at two minutes, the thing I want to change is the perception that somehow it means that what women do and achieve in the ring 
is less than their male counterparts, and that is absolutely not the case. When you, whether if you are men or women, and you're fighting two rounds, you're going to fight two-minute rounds. You're going to fight differently. You don't have a choice. You have no time to set up a lot of stuff. You have to just mm-hmm. move very, very quickly. So, and all of this nonsense about knockouts and everything else. And give it a rest. Sinisa Estrada has no problem knocking a woman out in two minutes. So, uh, you know, give it a rest. Give it a rest. So that's one. Um, pay equity, <laughs> number two. Oh, yeah. It's time to pay these women. Pay them what they are worth. There are women who are still fighting on major cards for $5,000, $3,000, and, and may have the same win-loss as a male counterpart. And then they're getting, you know, the bar bill is what they're getting in their pockets. Um, that is just yeah. shameful. It's shameful because you, it's all money. Do you think out. that boxing as a whole uh, needs a commission, a national commission, or oh, somebody? Oh, more than that. Absolutely. We need a national commission, and we, more than that, we need an international body. Look at what just happened, mm-hmm. right, with Ben and Connor and the, and the whole um, uh, doping scandal um, and then arguments about, oh, well, the BBBC only has one type of test and you took a VADA test, which had didn't have all the tests that are on the BBBC, so we should be able to go by what the BBBC says because we're in Britain. Um, but hey, dude, you're fighting for a world title. It's controlled yeah. by Vada, you know. So yes, we absolutely need a national commission. We had for a long time because what we have now are 50 jurisdictions, as we well know. Every state has True. their own boxing commission through some athletic thing. Um, you know, how how often do we have a case where a B-side fighter? may take, may get, you know, may lose a fight and get knocked out and they are, you know, banned from fighting in New York for 45 or 60 days, but they show up mm-hmm. in New Mexico or Arizona or Texas oh, yeah. 30 days later and they get knocked out again. I mean, that should never, ever, ever happen. So just Pretty for true. fighter safety alone, we need a national boxing uh, uh, commission so that it can regulate all of the states and can have greater safety and testing of athletes prior to fights and also start to look at things of like, well, what happens in the gym? You know, we all know of stories of fighters, male and female, who train really hard, get hits to the head, and, you know, they're sparring until, what, five days before their fight? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's less because if they get called into a fight um, uh, on these short cards and they get the call on Tuesday and they they sparred Monday and they're fighting on Thursday and they got knocked really hard, what happens in the ring on Thursday, you know? So these kinds of things really need to be looked at. Then there's 
you know, the uh, drug testing is another issue. And then, of course, you know, we oh, yeah. had this whole Kinahan story, and um, it, I think it had less of an impact in the United States in, other than, you know, the, the marquee fighters like Tyson Fury and, and even Crawford mm-hmm. and so on, some women who got caught up with Kinahan as uh, their advisor. But in the U.K., it had a very tremendous effect and affected a lot of women fighters who were, you know, in Kinahan organizations and Probellum, which yeah. kind of fallen apart. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the issue of corruption is something, whether it's local or uh, larger scale, money laundering that enters the fight, uh, enters mm-hmm. the fight game. And now we have sports betting. I mean, being promoted on boxing shows. I mean, it's, it's to me, it's just so antithetical to uh, the ability to keep the sport clean. I, I mean, literally, people are betting round by round. And oh yeah. And and like ESPN's given the line. I'm like, what bizarre world am I in? <laughs> <laughs> so, That's true. So, you know, I, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Really, I'm like ESPN is like, well, here's what it is, and I'm like, it's round eight. This is the way the betting's going. (laughs) (laughs) Like like a bookie's dream. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of opportunity for corruption, and you know, it's uh, look. We all know that uh, fighters are, with very very rare exceptions. Fighters are at the whim and caprice of their managers and their promoters. They can try to um, be very smart. And a fighter like Clarissa Shields has been extremely smart in who she has chosen to manage her and to guide her and to promote her um, because Mm -hmm. she has made sure that they are all in for her. But not every fighter has that presence of mind to be able to make those choices or the opportunity to make those choices. And what you yeah, know, talk a lot about marquee fighters, but there aren't most fighters um, don't have a lot of say. Hey, look, let's talk about, you know, Taylor Serrano had that, that extraordinary golden moment at, um, mm-hmm. at Madison square garden. Um, it really was just a golden. I was sitting in the audience, tears streaming down my face, along with a lot of other people who stood there, just in awe of the brilliance oh, yeah. of the evening and the brilliance of the fight itself. This is truly the best fight of the best. And as we know, you know, it had been three years. They've been trying to make that fight since mm-hmm. before the pandemic. And somehow it just magic there was a bit of magic in the air and, and match room. And then eventually Josh Paul and Madison square garden were able to hit on a formula and put that together. And uh, women at the top of the card were really well paid Were they paid what they yeah. would be worth if they were men. No, but they were, Hey, look, you don't say no to a million bucks plus. No. And <laughs> you know, they'll take it. And very few women who have ever earned that in boxing. I only know of yeah. those two and Regina Halmer. 
who really mm-hmm. was the person laying down a baby in Germany. Right. And in Mexico, right. you know, they may have been the case. But uh, in the United States or in Europe, it never happened. Um, and even this weekend, you know, we've got Clarissa and Savannah. We've got um, Michaela and Alicia Baumgartner. There's been no talk about their million dollars. I don't know what they're earning. It's very hard to try to suss out what those purses are looking like. But no one's been trying to earning a million dollars. It's close, but I don't think it's a million. Maybe uh, Clarissa and Savannah, but I'm not sure about Michaela and Alicia yet. But they're pretty yeah, close. They're getting close, I, and I, I, have, I really hope it does. And, and the, thing, the thing that I appreciate about the, the fight this weekend and mm-hmm. the fact that it's an all-female card is that Bob Aaron, who I heard you guys talking about earlier, Bob Aaron, who poo-pooed Taylor Serrano, because mm-hmm. it was the same night as Shakur Stevenson. He's like, oh, this is terrible. No one's going to watch it. Then, 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 then. <laughs> so fight happens. Blow out Madison Square Garden. The zone claims one and a half million eyes on the fight. Um, and now look at him. He's all in with Michaela. He signs Sinisa Estrada. He's all mm-hmm. in this fight this weekend. Um, so good for him to yeah, I mean, reawaken. Just... <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because he had, he had women before, but oh, he just he lost. He had women because... in the 70s, really, yeah. seriously. He was mm-hmm. one of the first in the game, which is what's so crazy. And then he always did not, oh, I never had women. I hated them. They cried. He had one fighter who cried on television. That was it. And then he was done. Until <laughs> the eighties, <laughs> he was done. And then um, when Don King came up with Christy Martin, he was like, "Oh God, I could make money." <laughs> and so he got Lucia yeah. Riker, right? And then it's like, "Oh, mm-hmm. she looks like a man," and he got me a fake. He Christy's pink. It went from the light, you know, Christy would come out in baby pink. He got me a St. Uh-huh. John, and she was in hot pink. It was just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I forgot about uh, Mia coming in hot pink. Hot pink, yeah. That's she right. was on Oscar de la Hoya's cards, and Christy was right. on Mike Tyson. It was perfect. They were all on pay-per-view. Everybody was happy making money for a hot minute. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It didn't last very long, but here we are on, on the precipice of a huge fight. Yeah. Do you expect this fight to have a major impact once it's finished? Well, uh, it's certainly having a major impact in the United Kingdom. Um, it has been, the U.K. has been wall-to-wall on this fight. I mean, mm-hmm. as we know, you know, Eddie Hearn, in, in, in signing and partnering, I'm not even going to say signing, in partnering with Katie Taylor and then in seeing in her early bouts how effective she was at galvanizing the audience and bringing mm-hmm. her 
them with her, not only in the United Kingdom, but in, but in New York City when she fought at Madison Square Garden and when she fought at Barclays. I mean, she had the crowd. They loved her. And seeing that, he really has gone all in. in a, and, and, you know, in this era, is the first promoter to really do so. And I, I, with all due respect to Lou DiBella, who, who really mm-hmm. tried hard on the yeah. local boxing scene, through his Broadway boxing and then really working hard to get, you know, Heather and Amanda on, on real fight cards and, and even managed to get, you know, Heather's and Shalito's fight on this second HBO card to ever have women fighting. Um, but Eddie has more money and he had the zone and he had his network. And that's something that, that uh, Lou DiBella never had other than local shows. So that true, gave uh, uh, Eddie more opportunity to market it. And then, you know, there's a new crop of women coming out of the Olympics. Um, and I think in, in the U.K. in particular, they're very hot on their Olympians. They're very proud of their Olympians. You know, they. I think it's uh, is it, uh, um, Nicola Adams is a, a DBE or an NBE or whatever they call them. <laughs> Sorry, I'm totally <laughs> destroying those honors. But she's honored, you know, in the way that Jane Couch is honored. Um, so uh, they, they've they really been able to sign. And then there's been a rivalry. And you've got boxers starting with with uh, Sky Sports and when that relationship between, DeZone, uh, between Matchroom and DeZone and Sky Sports fell apart, they went their own way. And then they developed their boxer promotions and they – when they brought in women, they mostly brought in champions from not only the UK but all over Europe, and then they brought in up-and-comers like um, uh, Dubois and fighters of that elk. And they, mm-hmm. for fighters who felt that they weren't getting the attention they deserved, such as Natasha Jonas, they would they scooped them up. And with boxer Natasha has you know got her her championship belt. At 154, and she's going to have the opportunity to uh, to unify once more when she fights um, Maria Dakar, which will be a really exciting fight. And then we have the possibility of Harper, you know, the rematch of Harper Jonas. So there's a lot of opportunity. And and the other thing was Eddie Hearn was very smart during the um, during the the first summer of COVID. By setting up right. camp and by also mm-hmm. including women's fights. And frankly, you know, anybody who saw that first Harper-Jonas fight, that really was the fight of the summer of his whole program, uh, of every fight mm-hmm. that, they, that he showed that summer. So I think that uh, resonated with him and has caused him to lean in much more. So I think this card in what I'm seeing in the media in the UK and the interest in the UK, um, they're really seeing this as, yeah, women's boxing is here to stay. It deserves to stay. It deserves to be appreciated. It deserves to have fans. And that's new. Okay. And we really haven't gotten there here. I don't think maybe I, I think as Terry pointed out in the, Club shows, sure, because that no everybody loves a club show, and you love your local fighters. Mm-hmm. 
and women have always done well in club shows in small markets. Mm-hmm. But convincing the larger broadcasters to put on women has been a nightmare. I mean, look at PBC, right? When was the last time they had a female on a card? Never. Not in a long time. Um, and they still refuse, which means in terms of their relationship with Showtime, the only time Showtime now has a woman, I think it's only been twice this year, has been when it's not been a PBC show. So it's really complicated. Yeah. And as we all know, too, we're not, you know, boxing has been marginalized in America by MMA. You can't really find boxing. You don't have regular shows. I mean, unless you're a boxing head like us, we don't know where there's going to be boxing this weekend. We have to hunt True. for it. There's no regular. You know, look, we, as, as late as, what, eight years ago, we had Friday Night Fights, half a year. So every Friday, six months of the year, we'd, we'd argue with Teddy through the television, and we'd watch boxing, <laughs> and we'd be happy. <laughs> there's no regular boxing. You know, it's True. club shows. The only way you can find boxing is on weird streaming services. Good luck finding them. I went to watch. I wanted to watch uh, Jessica Kamara fight. She just had her fight. She was on a card. You know, trying to get the um, the streaming service. I practically was getting viruses on my computer, and then my bank was calling me saying. You know, um, we're not going to let you pay for this. This is a very dodgy (laughs) routing. So I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you told me. (laughs) I just prayed that it was like, well, maybe some kind soul will have been sitting at at ringside and took a video (laughs) and posted on YouTube. That's the only way, yeah, sometimes. Still watch most of my women's boxing. It's on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's the same here. Same I mean, here. the Gonzalez Juarez fight, I saw it on, on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I watched it. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Melissa, I'm going to pass you on to Felipe because we're almost, sure. uh, our time limit oh, is almost sure, over. Sure. Felipe? Cool. Are you there? Yeah. Yes, yes, thank you, David. Well, great information. I mean, I'm really interested in your book. Um, just fairly quickly, because like David said, we are running out of time. Um, sure. Well, um, you know, you mentioned, which I found very interesting, that in the 1880s and 1890s, female boxing was very accepted. What was, besides the trading cards, what are some examples of, of the acceptance that female boxing had at that time? Well, primarily boxing was seen in what was sort of the precursor to vaudeville, which was variety theater. And, uh, you know, the first female boxing was really in New York in, in the, 18, the late 1870s. And by the early 1880s, those first women who were fighting in New York in local theaters started to take their shows on the road. And they would do um, sparring and they would do other kinds of acts. And then they would appear at smokers in different cities. And it became quite popular um, amongst people to the point where uh, women were actually practicing boxing as exercise in in the late 1880s and the 1890s. There were even special gloves that were developed for women. They were called pneumatic gloves. 
people would pump them full of air so that when you sparred, you wouldn't really get hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy stuff. Um, That's not to say that it wasn't controversial. There was a fight in, I think, around 1892 between two women uh, in in the uh, sort of on an island between Canada and Buffalo, between Niagara Falls and Buffalo, somewhere in that area, and that caused a huge hue and cry, and the promoters were hauled into jail and uh, all sorts of consternation. And there was a, a, a church in Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and the minister was famously screaming from the pulpit, it's the downfall of society. <laughs> Women are boxing. <laughs> so. oh, another black guy. <laughs> um, now, fairly quickly, you mentioned you're going to write another book. You're going to write another book about the last 10 years of boxing, yeah. which you know, we agree with you that it has been a, a very important area, kind of, you know, started by that fight uh, between Amanda Serrano and I forgot who it was. Who did she fight in that fight on CBS? Oh, that was, uh, that was Fatima, um, the girl from um, on CBS on that afternoon fight. It was a, a six rounder and she was from uh, Africa, I believe. Sarika? Uh, yeah, it might Fatima have been. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. And it was compared, a, a six rounder. Compared to the other eras that you've researched from the eighteen eighties to the to the present and to how would you compare this era the last ten years to the other eras in in between World War Two and World War One and eighteen eighties and eighteen nineties when it oh, was I popular? Yeah, I, I would compare it to the ni- the late nineties and early aughts. Really, the era of Christy Martin, because it gra- it, it really gra- uh, grasped the imagination. I mean, look, we had boxing in the '70s, and it was very popular. And especially out west in California, there were all female cards all the time in California and in Nevada. But it wasn't as uh, it, it kind of died fairly quickly, and there just weren't enough fighters by the late. 90s, early aughts, um, there were more women who uh, had opportunities to box in the amateurs, even if it was for a year or two. Because before that, there was no amateurs. Women were not allowed to box in any kind of amateur program. So it was like learn how to box in the gym and then become a pro. Um, But through the early aughts, you started to have women who were at least had some amateur exposure because they were able to box in golden gloves and and those kinds of championships. Um, and then you had, you know, women like uh, like Marlene and uh, and Clarissa, who both started boxing, what, 10, 11 years old. So they were in the gym as kids, just like their male counterparts. So no wonder that they had the talent to be able to make it into the Olympics in 2012. Um, so what you have, you know, after 2012, in my opinion, is you have these women who have come up through the amateurs who've had the opportunity to really be schooled in fighting um, and also get used to being in a more disciplined environment. And then you have women who came through boxing kind of the old way, uh, and they are have been sharing the stage. So you have Amanda coming in that sense. Um, and that's why she's so important, because she's 
really her career has grown through her professional experience. Now, as my last question, I'm going to put you on the spot. But who sure. is your favorite? Who is your favorite female fighter right now? Oh, you really are killing me. Um, give me a <laughs> wait. <laughs> Who's the fighter that when she's going to fight you, I mean, you tell everybody, don't invite me anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I don't care what's well, going to yeah, happen. I'm going to my Yeah, team. I'll say, uh, you know, Clarissa. I'll say Katie Taylor. I'll say Michaela. I mean, uh, you know, uh uh, those kinds of those caliber of fighters are, are really exciting. But listen, I, I didn't want to go anywhere because I had to figure out how to watch Jackie Nava fight, you know. Um, so, <laughs> but in terms of American women, um, you know, I'm I'm enormously excited by Clarissa. Uh, I'm enormously excited by what M- Michaela has been able to achieve. Um, and and to see her growth in the sport. And Sinisa Estrada, oh, my God, she's just fantastic. She's a fighter I just love to watch. I can't wait till she fights next in November. Thank you, uh, Melissa. And uh, before we let you go, why don't you go ahead and tell all our all our listeners and our followers where they could uh, purchase your book. Oh, sure. Well, thank you so much. A History of Women's Boxing is available on Amazon.com. That's probably the easiest. They have books in stock. You can buy hardbound, a hardcover paperback, or it's also available on Kindle. Uh, I am otherwise uh, at Girl Boxing Now on um, Twitter and Instagram, and I have a website called girlboxing.org. I write a little bit about boxing there. It's mostly about my own uh, personal um uh, experiences with my husband who has dementia and, and so I write about living with dementia and the challenges of, of um, keeping life normal <laughs> well that's a, another interesting subject well we thank you for being here with us on the two minute round we hope it's not the last time and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you uh, in the future I really appreciate your time and, and thank you again both of you for inviting me to talk about. Oh, thank you, boxing. Melissa. Thank you. Okay. Thank, thank you. you Bye-bye. Thank you so much. And there you have Melissa Smith, the author of A History of Women's Boxing, which seems to be, I was looking at it right now while you were talking to her, David, uh, on uh, on Amazon. It's, it seems to be a very comprehensive history of the really sport. Really good. Yeah. So um, we actually have run out of time in our live show, but if people are listening to it afterwards, uh, they'll be able to listen to the whole show on the links that we provide on our uh, on our um, uh, social media. So uh, in the last fight of the review, David, um, on Saturday, October 8th, from Carson, California, Gabriela Fundora scored a unanimous decision over Naomi Arellano Reyes in a scheduled 10-rounder at 112 pounds. It's for the WBC Latino flyweight title scores there were 99-91 two times in 98-92. Uh, we had the opportunity to be there at the fight. Fundora with her 5'9 frame and, and reach, was able to control the fight over Naomi Adriano Reyes, who was eight inches shorter than her. She tried. She scored a couple overhand rights, but it just wasn't enough to make a difference against Gabriela Fundora. The interesting thing about Fundora is that despite only being 9-0, and 0, she's already looking towards a world title and seems she stated that she was ready for it against Marlene Esparza, says she's only interested in the WBC title. Obviously, she's winning 
saying no to the WBA title that Marlene Esparza also holds, but the one that she really wants is that WBC green and gold belt. And with this win, David, she got into the top 15 rankings at flyweight for the WBC. Wow. Yeah, so she's there. I mean, it's just a matter of Marlene Esparza, you know, choosing her as uh, an opponent now that she's at the top 15. But, you know, there is 14 women ahead of her, including um, Sulem Urbina, who has actually challenged Marlene Esparza before. There's uh, Maria Salinas, who has been an ABF champion. And obviously topping the list is the former two-time world champion, Kenya Enriquez. So we'll see, um, you know, how soon Gabriela Fundora gets to fight for that world title. Yeah, that's a good lineup. Good lineup of fighters there. Now, Kofiyoka is also on the list who she has been sparring mm-hmm. to get ready for Naomi Arellano. So, I mean, it would be hard to believe that WBC is going to jump over all those women um, and, and, and give her the opportunity. But, you know, as we all know, boxing is sometimes not about the rules, but about who you know. And she has a very, mm-hmm. uh, very connected promoter in Samson Lekowitz. So let's see if the WBC actually goes down the list for Marlene Esparza's next opponent or if they give the opportunity to Gabriela Fundora because of who her promoter is. But, David, let's move on to the upcoming calendar now that we're running out of time. Uh, Fairly quickly here, a fighter that had announced that she had retired, but she's actually coming back Thursday, October 13th, tomorrow from Guadalupe, Mexico. That's near uh, Monterrey. Isabel La Estrella Millan faces Eloisa Martinez, rounder at 115 pounds. And in New York City, Heather Hardy faces Calisa Selgado again, who had just fought Melissa Sainville. Now he's, she's going after um, gym mate Heather Hardy in a six-rounder at 135 pounds. On Friday, October 14th, from Niagara Falls, New York, Mikia Krebs will be facing Carmarie Matos Vargas in a six-rounder at 118 pounds. And on Saturday, October 15th, in Australia on the zone, Sky Nicholson will face Christina Jacobs in a 10-rounder at 126 pounds. From Chihuahua, Mexico, on the Azteca Channel, Jamiles Mercado will be defending her WBC 122-pound title against Mariana Juarez. Now, there is some reports that this fight has been postponed until November 5th. But I, I personally have not seen anything official from either the promoter, Sanford Promotions, or from either Jamiles Mercado or Mariana Juarez. So we're going to look for this fight on Saturday, October 15th. From Australia on ESPN, on that undercard of uh, George Cam- – well, actually, David Haney against George Cambosos, Chernika Johnson who faces Susie Ramadan in a 10-rounder for a 122-pound IBF title. And obviously the fight that we've all been waiting for – the, the redo of the September 10th fight card from London. Now it's going to be this Saturday on ESPN+. Plus. Clarissa Shields takes on undefeated Savannah Marshall in a 10-rounder at 160 pounds to unify the IBF, WBA, WBC, WBO titles. And Michaela Mayer against Alicia Baumgartner in a 10-rounder at 130 pounds to unify the IBF, WBC, and WBO titles. There's also nine other female bouts, including Jeannie Fouche, Carolyn Debois, and Ebony Jones. David, it seems like Michaela Mayer and Alicia Baumgartner left where they, they took up where they left off in their 
utter distaste of each other. They they had to be separated at an interview uh, today, yesterday or today. And honestly, I mean, I'm going to watch Clarissa Shields and Savannah Marshall, but the fight for me of this weekend is Mikaela Mayer against Alicia Baumgartner. It sure is grabbing headlines. <laughs> I mean, it's everywhere. Their, their fight is grabbing headlines. Uh, it's kind of overshadowed everything. Yeah. But, so uh, I think it's going to be interesting. Fight of the, the fight of the weekend as far as, as female boxing is concerned. But let's, let's wait and see what happens. Um, David, any, any closing remarks? Uh, no, I think that's it for me. Uh, it was a good show. I was great to talk to Terry Moss and, and Melissa Smith. And uh, there are two really good uh, boxing people. Yeah, it was a good show, good interviews. And with that said, from Mr. David, our next show is October 26th, where we're going to be talking about the fights that we just mentioned and what is coming up. Um, with that said, from Mr. David Avila, I'm Felipe Leon. We bid you a good night. Good night, everybody. Good night.